once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. see a live human being up here instead of looking at a screen. I'm, I'm Jeff Norris. I'm glad to be here with you this morning and uh, to worship together, to, to be able to open God's Word with you, and I'm and, uh, just excited about what God has for us. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're taking a four-week break from uh, Randy's series that we've been in, The Lovable Law, uh, while he's away. And uh, so I'm in here for these four weeks. Caleb will be teaching in the hangar. And uh, Bob Cargo is in the main. And together we've put some, uh, some outlines together and worked together on looking through these first five verses of Hebrews is where we'll be uh, these next few weeks. And uh, what we're calling this series is Jesus Outside the Box. So uh, you may have noticed, you may not, I have a box up here in case you didn't know what a box looks like. But I, this is a little prop that I'll use just to give us a visual and to simply say this. We live our lives with all the different categories and, and parts of our lives. We love to compartmentalize them. Another way to say that is we, we love to put them in a box. So it may be with our relationships. Maybe it's with our spouse or with our children or uh, with friends or coworkers or parents or whatever it may be. We, we like to put those relationships in a box and to say as a result of that what we, uh, we say in the way that we function is to say this. As long as you act the way that I need you to act, as long as you and I interact the way that, we, that I see fit that we should interact, as long as you do for me what I think you should do for me, and as long as our relationship is what I expect it to be, in other words, as long as you fit in my box, then, I'm, then we're great. We'll, we'll do it with all kinds of things. We'll do it with our jobs. As long as my job is getting for me financially, salary-wise, what I expected it to give to me. As long as I'm uh, in good relationship with my boss and he or she is not too domineering over me or maybe a micromanager or not a micromanager, whatever it is that we prefer. But in my job context, I have a box. And when things are fitting inside my box, then things are great. But when they're outside my box, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I don't know how to live life in a certain way anymore because I'm so frustrated with what's not fitting into my box. We do it with all kinds of things, and we do it with Jesus. And when I say we, I don't just mean Christians. I mean everybody. Everybody has an opinion on Jesus. The world has an opinion on Jesus. But even us within the church, if you call yourself a Christian, you, like me, are probably guilty of putting Jesus in a box. And how that looks is we say, Jesus, as long as you act within the parameters that I've given you, as long as you fit into the box that I've given you to work the way that I've said that you should work, to give me what I think you should give me in the time that I think should, it should occur, and as long as these circumstances pan out this way and this relationship pans out this way, because after all, Jesus, you are God, and so I'm, I'm trusting you with this. And so as long as those things are operating within the context of my box, Jesus, then I'm great with you and I, I worship with gladness. But here's the problem with Jesus. That's actually a sentence I never thought I'd say in church. Um, here's the problem with Jesus. He doesn't fit in our boxes. He's outside the box. He's not who we necessarily want 
him to be. He's not this God who is made in our image. We are made in his image. And he's not containable. He's not measurable. He's not manageable. He's not these things that we want him to be. He's far beyond that. He's far beyond us. What we want to try and do in this series by looking at a simple few verses in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 is we want to begin to look at these verses and to, to help take Jesus outside the box. Now let me say this. There's probably not one thing that I'm going to say this morning that if you've been in or around church, you're going to go, well, that's not outside the box. It, it, what I'm going to give you this morning is simple. Really simple. So simple that you're going to be tempted to walk out of here and turn to the person that you're walking out with and say, well, I knew all that. And so here's my challenge to you this morning. You're not going to be wowed by anything that I say. What I pray and hope that you're wowed by is the simple truths of who Jesus is that you've known perhaps for a long, long time, but that you're pondering in a new way. As the author of Hebrews begins to point out some things that are really basic about the person of Jesus that you would go, you know what, I take that for granted. And I don't sit and dwell long enough in who Christ is and his nature and his character to the point to where I am interacting with a Jesus that is far beyond me. A Jesus that is awe-inspiring. One that, that drives me to my knees in worship and dependence upon him and not one that I easily get bored with because he just fits into the box that I make for him. This week in particular, this first week, we're going to be zooming in and focusing in on the aspect of Jesus as prophet. And that's the language of the scriptures, that we've had these prophets that have come for, uh, for thousands or hundreds of years, even over a thousand years before Christ came, who would speak about the things of God and who would speak about the coming Messiah. But then we get a picture of this Messiah through this text in Hebrews where it says that, okay, he is the ultimate prophet. All the other prophets were pointing to him, speaking about him, and now he has come and he has spoken. And it's final. And it's authoritative. Let me tell you a little bit about the book of Hebrews real quick. The book of Hebrews is written to those who we're in a dangerous position spiritually. First, it was written to people who were very seriously considering leaving the faith. And we can tell this from the nature, if you were to read the whole book, the nature of the book is that over and over again, this author, that we don't know who authored the book, that's why I keep saying the author, but whoever wrote this, this letter to these Jewish Christians, he says over and over again, persevere, endure, don't give up type language. And we begin to infer from that that these are a weary people. These are people who are ready to call it quits if they could. They're in deep doubt. Maybe there's, uh, there's, as we've read some commentary on this, this is probably a season of peace for these people, but they've been through some persecution. But whatever the situation may be for them, they're in deep doubt. Part of the situation is this. There's false teachers all around them that are teaching them that uh, this Jesus that you're following in is, isn't as great as you think he is. There was this new religion that had come, this new way of belief that had come around in the time of these, of these uh, recipients that was called Gnosticism. And one of the things that Gnosticism did is it elevated angels 
to say that angels were as significant, if not more significant, than Jesus. There were other teachers that would say that the prophets are just as significant as Jesus, if not more so. And so the author of Hebrews comes in, and as you'll see when we read in just a second, he straight off the bat says that's not even close to true. Jesus is supreme. He's greater than the angels and the prophets. But he's writing to a people who are weary, considering leaving the faith. He's also writing to a people that some are simply bored with the faith. And those are probably two, uh, for the first thing I gave you in that one, are, are tied together. There's, maybe they're thinking about leaving the faith because they're bored with the faith. How do we become bored with our faith? There's a lot of reasons, but one of them is simply this. We take a big God who doesn't fit in a box and we make him small and to fit into our parameters. When we begin to do that, we get bored. We begin to worship a Jesus, not of the Bible, but a Jesus of our box. Not the Jesus of reality, who is, who was and is and is to come, but the Jesus of our imagination, of our shaping. And one of the things that's so hard for us is we get bored in the faith and we don't even realize that we've put Jesus in the box. And we don't realize that we're worshiping a Jesus of our box, not the Jesus of the Bible. And friends, hear me, the Jesus of your box is not worth worshiping but the Jesus of the Bible is. He was also writing, this author was writing to those with a false psalm who had a false profession of faith. As you get further into the book, especially Hebrews chapter 6 and following, you, you begin to realize that he's dealing with the people who are not producing fruit, spiritual fruit. There's no fruit of the Spirit. There, there's a verbal affirmation of the faith. There's a belonging to the visible church. But this author has reason to believe there, there may not be fruit of, of someone who truly knows Christ. I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation and say this is you, but I just want you to realize that as in these first three categories that I've given you of who the author of Hebrews is writing to, on any given Sunday in this room and in any of the rooms, in the main or the hangar where we worship at Perimeter, I would venture to say that 50%, maybe even 75% of the people coming through these doors are in one of those three categories. We've got people walking through these doors every single Sunday who are deeply doubting and struggling and weary. We've got many who are walking through these doors who are bored with their faith. And we've got some that are walking through these doors who have been in church their entire life and they know the lingo, they know what to say, they know how to say it, they know when to say it. And they sound really good in talking about Jesus but have never known Jesus. One last category I'll tell you about the book of Hebrews is that it is a great book, a fantastic book for those who are investigating the faith. Someone who's wanting to understand more about who this Jesus is. Here's what the author of Hebrews does over and over and over again as he says to us, observe the greatness of Jesus. Be in awe of the greatness of Jesus. To, the, to those who are bored, look at Jesus. To those who are doubting, look at Jesus. To those who have a false profession of faith, look at Jesus. To those who are investigating the faith, look to Jesus. See the greatness of Christ in all ways, in all things, at all times. He is supreme. He is preeminent. As we think about Jesus as this prophet, the one who speaks to us. We're calling this week, Jesus speaks. He has spoken. God has spoken once and for all through Christ, and he speaks to us through his word. 
we have to consider how quickly and how easily distracted we are by what we tune our ears to. We have this God made in human flesh for us who came as the, as the Son of God, as we'll talk about in a minute. And yet, we, we struggle so much to listen to him, to truth. Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I am the truth. And so here is God himself speaking to us the very words of God, truth itself. And yet we are a distracted people. As we sang just a minute ago, as Randy had to sit in that moment with Ryan and Julia singing, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Why are we prone? Because one of the things that we do, not the only, but one of the things is that we tune our ears to other sources of quote unquote truth. And we convince ourselves that that truth is more significant, more applicable, and better than what Jesus says. For some of us, it's, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. There's so many places that we can go. We can go to social media and we can read articles about all the things that, that people are saying about the country that we're in right now. What about refugees? And what about this? And what about this? And we begin, uh, we get so worried and we get so anxious. And then we engage in these, in these wars, these word wars on Facebook or any other social media. And we begin to engage with people because we are beginning to believe things that we aren't even sure if they're true or not. Do you know how many articles are circulated on Facebook that are simply 100% false? And the whole reason that they're circulated is because they're put out by people to get clicks and the more that you hit retweet or the more that you hit share on Facebook, the more clicks that they get, therefore the more advertising they get, therefore the more money they get. And they know that people oftentimes won't even read the article. They'll just read the headline and the headline is sensationalized and it's not true at all, but we'll say share. Can you believe that he would do this? Can you believe that this person said this, that that organization did this? It's one of the things right now that we're talking a lot about is this whole false news thing. But we'll be so quick to tune our ear to that and say, well, I guess that's true because Joe at the whatever organization wrote an article about it. Or maybe it's just news outlets in general. We'll tune our ears to Fox News or to CNN or to MSNBC or whatever news channel that is our favorite news channel. And we'll say, that is truth. What is it that Fox News says? I'm not, I'm not shaming on Fox News, but we report, you decide. Okay. There's an agenda behind everything, and we will decide that's truth for me. And then the last thing that we do, if we do it at all, is go to the Word of God or to Jesus Himself through the Word of God and say, No, 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 this is truth. And this is where I'm going to sink my feet deep into the bedrock of where I found and fuel my life, is in Jesus. Where are we tuning our ears in a world full of noise that clutters our minds and fills our heads? Are we tuning in to him? Are we listening to him and his word? Turn with me if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen to Hebrews 1, 1 through 5. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we read this together as it is God's holy and inerrant word. says this in verse 1, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a, st- a son. Remain standing while I pray. Father, thank, thank you for your word. Thank you that your scriptures are true. Thank you that Jesus is real, and he's far beyond what we often create him to be in our minds. Would you show up powerfully in the next few minutes as we open your word, as we look at it? Holy Spirit, would you come in Jesus' name? Amen. Take a seat. Each week, at least the first three weeks, really all four weeks that I'm in in here with you guys, I want you to think about a diamond that you hold up to the light. You hold it up and the light comes through the diamond and is refracted in a certain way and you go, wow, that's beautiful. And so we're going to see a certain light uh, refracted this week as we think about Jesus' prophet. And then we'll twist it a little bit next week and let the light hit it just a little bit different to give us a little bit different perspective on who Jesus is. And we'll look at Jesus' priest, our sacrifice. And then the next week we'll look at Jesus as king. We'll twist it one more time and we'll look at Jesus is our king, the one who rules and reigns, is the king who has come and the king who will come again. But today we'll look at Jesus as our prophet, the one who speaks as the final authoritative truth of God. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. I'll read it quickly. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's important to note that the author of Hebrews is, when he talks about that in, in many times, in many ways, he spoke to us by the prophets, that he is including in that, not just when you look at your Old Testament and see the major and minor prophets. He's not just talking about those guys, although that is in, those guys are included. But he's talking about all the people through which God has spoken from the beginning of time up until Christ. So, for example, God spoke through Adam. Remember, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. Spoke with him. What would, I mean, this was before sin. What was that like? He spoke, through, spoke to and through Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Exodus 33 says that, that God and Moses spoke face to face as a friend would speak to another. I don't really understand that because I also know that when, uh, when uh, there was also that account where uh, Moses asked God to see his glory and God said, well, I can't pass before you or you'll die, so I'll let you see my backside. And so he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by him. And Moses caught just a glimpse, just a glimpse of God and then shone with the Shekinah glory of God for days and days to come because he had just gotten the, the glimpse, the backside of Jesus. So what it means when it says that they spoke face to face is a friend would talk to another, I'm not exactly sure, but God spoke to Moses. And then from Moses to Malachi, God's revelation was recorded in written form as history, as poetry, as prophecy. So God spoke 
through the prophets, to his people, through these messengers of truth. But then look at the contrast that he makes here. He says, yes, that's true. People who are, or he's, remember his, who his recipients are, people who are Jewish people, he's saying, yes, and you should be uh, uh, thankful for that. That is your heritage. That is the true nature of how God has worked. But don't miss this, Hebrews. Don't miss this, Perimeter Church. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. The first thing I want, to, want you to notice about Jesus, remember I told you, you're not going to be blown away by any of these points that you take away today, but I just want you to realize and think that the reason that we listen to Jesus first is because he's God's son. He's the son of God who came in the flesh to rescue us and do for us what we couldn't do in ourselves, that we could never do in ourselves. He's spoken to us through, the son, uh, through his son. I want you to remember, if you're, if you're familiar with it, if not, I'll tell you a quick story that Jesus told in Matthew 21 and Mark 12. Some of you are familiar with this, but it's the story of the parable of the tenants. Where there was a man who, uh, who had this land, and on it he built a fence around it and made a wine press, a vineyard, and built a tower on it. And then uh, he said that he would, get, at that point he gave it to tenants, and he went to a foreign land. And after a period of time he sent some servants back to his land to take the fruits from it and when they came the tenants those who were renting the land from him killed the servants beat some of the servants killed other servants and the landowner sent more servants and again they beat and killed those servants and again the landowner sent more servants and again they dealt harshly with those servants and they said, you will not get the fruit. This is our fruit. They became selfish and focused on themselves. And they wanted this and they didn't want to give it to the rightful owner, the landowner. And so then the landowner does something unthinkable as if what he has already done is not unthinkable enough. You and I, after sending one servant and seeing him beaten and killed, would have said, okay, that's enough. I've got to go take care of this. But he keeps sending servants over and over and over again. And then, mind-blowingly, he sends as Mark 12 says, his beloved son. His one and only beloved son. And the tenants do with him just as they had done with the servants. They beat him and they killed him. The landowner in that story, he says, surely they'll deal differently with my son who is the heir, right? The heir of this vineyard, but they didn't. What we see in this text is that this son that that story is alluding to, the servants that he kept sending is alluding to the prophets. I kept sending you prophet after prophet after prophet telling you truth and you wouldn't listen to the truth and you would reject the truth and you either ignored them at best and at worst you killed them. And I kept sending you more and you still wouldn't listen. And you still hardened your heart and I still sent you more. And then if it weren't enough, I sent you my very own son. And then we, mankind, dealt with him in the same way. Rejected him, ignored him at best, dismissed him, killed him, so to speak, at worst, and said, you, you have no part with me. This son, as we're told in Hebrews, is not just the heir of the vineyard. He's the heir of all things. All things are Christ's. They're his, including us. And yet we so easily 
listen to other things. Secondly, he is the very glory of God. Look at verse verse 3a, the first part of verse 3. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his, of his nature. The Bible makes no bones about it. It is very clear that the Bible presents Jesus to us as God. Sometimes you might interact with someone in your workplace, someone who's more of a postmodern mindset, someone who's just an agnostic or atheist that will say to you, Jesus never claimed to be God. This is one of the things that has happened a lot, a lot in apologetics and debates is that Jesus never claimed to be God. It was very clear in Scripture that he indeed claimed to be God. In fact, at one point, the Jews are, uh, the, the Pharisees are looking to kill him, and they've picked up stones to stone him. And he says, which one of these miracles are you stoning me for? And they say, it's not any of the miracles that you've done. It's that you, a mere man, as they perceive him, are claiming to be God. It was very clear to them who he was claiming to be. And then the scriptures outside of Jesus' words himself make it even more abundantly clear. John 1.1 1, 1 says this. It says, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in this text, in Hebrews 1, very similar passage to John chapter 1, the first verses of John chapter 1, it says very clearly, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His being. You've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all equal. Three persons of the Trinity existing as one God, equal in power, substance, and glory, but unique in their roles within the Godhead. Jesus even said himself, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This word radiance here is significant in the original language. Some translations translate it reflection. That's okay, it kind of gets at it, but it's a lacking translation. The better translation is radiance. I want you to think about the moon and the sun in space. One emits the light, the other just simply reflects the light. Sometimes people think that Jesus is like the moon, that he's God-like, that he reflects the light of the Father, but he's not the Father himself in the sense of God, that he's not God. But listen, you can no more separate Jesus from the Father in unity than you can separate the rays of the sun from the sun. Jesus radiates the glory of God in the same way that the, the rays of the sun radiate from the sun. The moon doesn't radiate anything. It just simply reflects. Jesus is the very glory of God. There's a lot of opinions about who God is. Maybe even some different opinions in, the, in this church about the character of God and who he is. But certainly in the world, lots of opinions. Some say that God is a he. Some say God is a she or an it or there is no God. Or if there is a God, it's this and this and this. And there's all kinds of opinions and conclusions about who God is. But the scriptures make it abundantly clear that we understand God most clearly through Jesus. Uh, to say it another way, whatever you imagine God to be, the truth of that idea stands or falls on the person of Jesus. We know God and we see God through God the Son. He is the Word. John 1, 1 that I just read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Why would John use this, this, this image of Word, this Word, Word, 
right? Why, why, why wouldn't he say in the beginning was Christ and Christ was with God and Christ was God? Why does he say word? And here's why, because it's through Jesus that we know the Father. If I were to take one of you to, to lunch right after this, I say, hey, I want to get to know you more. And we sit down at lunch, just maybe over here at Twisted Taco or something like that. We sit down together and we don't say a word. I don't say a word to you. And you don't say a word to me. We just look at each other. Now, there's going to be some things that we might pick up about each other. I might say, you know, in, in my mind, I might go, oh, nice haircut. Or, you know, he holds his fork weird. Or, you know, some, something along those lines. Body language is strange. What's going on here? But we will not get to know each other unless what? Unless words are spoken. And here's what God says to us through his son. He says, you will not know me unless you know my word. Unless you know Jesus, the way we get to know God is because he has spoken to us with finality, with authority, once and for all, through Jesus. And it's through him that we know God. There's no other way. Lastly, Jesus is the agent of creation. It says in verse 2 that it's through Jesus that he created the world. And then in verse 3, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about this for a second. I mean, just, just think about, we, we get Genesis 1-1. If you've grown up in church, around church, if you've been here long, we go, okay, I'm a Christian. I get that God created the heavens and the earth. We don't begin to get insight into how God did that until the New Testament when it tells us in this verse and in John 1-3 that there was nothing that was made that wasn't made through Christ through Colossians 1.16 that says everything was made by Christ and for Christ, we begin to get this understanding that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all present in creation and that the Father spoke it into being, but that it was through the hands, if you will, of the Son that creation happened. And so in other words, here's what we have to tie into right now. Here's what we have to remind ourselves is that the very purpose of your existence, the reason you were on this earth, you and I both, is for Christ. We were created by him and for him. And this is why the world around you and even you yourself, when you forget this truth, this is why we're frustrated. Because we forget our purpose is Christ. That he is the agent of creation and that I am his created one for him. And when we get distracted by all the, uh, the noise of the world, we forget that simple truth. That I'm here because I was put here by Christ for Christ. And until I align my life with him and his supremacy in all things, in every area, in every little small part of my life, then I will be frustrated. I will be dissatisfied. I will be longing. Because I'm aligning my heart to something that I was not created for. Doesn't mean we can't have hobbies. Doesn't mean that we don't go about life. It just means simply that at the end of it all, we understand that we are Christ's. We're created by him and for him. As we think about this idea of what do we tune our ears to, let me leave you with this final thought, this final story. Uh, I used this back when I preached in the main sanctuary. I, I don't remember when it was, maybe this summer, this past summer. And so it, was, it would have been shown in here. And I'm going to use the same illustration, so I apologize if this is familiar. But as I was thinking about how to wrap this up with a picture to leave you with, I thought, there, I don't know that there's a better illustration that I can think of. Particularly as it pertains to what we listen to. Where are we tuning the ears of our heart, the ears of our mind? 
Many of you, if not all of you, are familiar with the story of, of uh, the, the classic ancient story of Homer's Odyssey. It was written in the 8th century BC, one of the oldest stories that we have, and it tells the story of Odysseus, that's, or Ulysses, depending on, uh, he goes by two different names, but I'll refer to him as Odysseus. Odysseus is, is the story of Odysseus leaving the Trojan War, and it's about his journey home, trying to get back to his wife and children. And he knows, he's been told by the, uh, the female Greek god Circe that he will have to pass through the narrows and that he will be lured in by the sirens. And that the sirens will sing the most beautiful song you've ever heard and they will look to you as the most beautiful beings you've ever seen. And before you know it, irresistibly, you will be crashed on the rocks and they will devour you. And so she tells him, she said, if you want to survive the sirens, here's what you do. is you take this wax that I'm giving you now and you put it into the ears of your men on your ship. And then she says, I know you want to hear the song. And so here's what you can do. Instead of putting the wax in your ears to where you don't hear the song, you tie yourself to the main mast in the middle of the ship. And no matter how much you scream and cry and long to be let go from that mast because you want to go so badly to the alluring songs that you hear and to the sirens that are singing them, tell your men to tie you all the more tightly and to not let you go. And so Odysseus survives. He and his men survived, but it was not because of some great experience that they had. It was because they tuned out the song and they tied up their leader. And Odysseus himself said, I want to so bad, tie me all the tighter. Now there's another story that came along in addition to this one that was added on to the story of Homer's Odyssey that came about in about the third century BC and it was the story of Jason. And he was on a similar journey and he too knew that he was going to have to pass through the narrows and be seduced by the sirens. And so instead of putting wax in his men's ears and instead of tying himself to the mast, what he did was something more profound and something far better. He invited Orpheus, the greatest musician in all the world, to come on board with him. He was known throughout the world as the greatest harpist in the land. And when they approached the narrows and when he knew that the sirens and the things that they would begin to hear were about to take place, he turned to Orpheus and he said, would you play your song? And Orpheus began to play a song that was more majestic and more sublime and more beautiful than the sirens could ever sing. And they passed through the narrows with great joy because they heard a better song and they were never even enticed by the sirens. For many of us, the Christian life looks like this. We very rarely tune our ears to the better song of Jesus, but we tune our ears to all kinds of other false sources of truth. And as a result, we want so badly to run to them and sometimes we do. And as a result of running to them, we feel guilty all the time and we merely survive this walk with Jesus. And we feel shackled and we feel bound. But the better song of Jesus frees us from that slavery. And we tune our ears to the song of the gospel, the song of grace, the song of mercy, the song of repentance, the song of God's greatness through Jesus, his preeminence and his supremacy as we see here in Hebrews 1. And we begin to get a vision of Jesus that frees us from those shackles to say, I don't even want to tune my ears to those things anymore because I'm listening to a better song. 
And Jesus has all of me. And here's what begins to happen with the box that we put Jesus in. Jesus, you have to fit the way that I want you to fit. We begin to slowly, as we get a vision of who the real Jesus is, is the son of God, is the one who is the agent of creation, is the one who is the very glory of God. And we begin to see him and tune our ears to him and his song of the gospel. We kind of look at our box and we go, you know what? I'm going to put this down. And it's no longer about him fitting in there. It's about me fitting into what he has for me in light of who he is. Jesus outside the box. He offers himself to us that we may tune our hearts to him. And one of the best ways we can do that is through the table. Randy's going to come and he's going to lead us in taking the table together as we think about Jesus, who he is, that he would break his body and that he would shed his blood for us. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together. Thanks for your word. Thanks for your grace and your mercy. Thank you that your word never returns void, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it pierces between both joint and marrow, doing through it what you would have your way in us. God, even now as we take in this holy sacrament communion, would you soften our hearts that we may approach this table with joy and gladness as we look upon our Savior and as we tune our ears to his song of grace and mercy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.